I hadn't felt emotions in 20 years. I mean, again, that's not a unique thing that, you know, no one's, you know, first, I'm the first person to ever say that. It's really, but to me, it was staggering, like, oh, this is what this feels like, or, oh, this is what I was avoiding, or, you know, and those are, you know, that still happens to me every now and again. Well, I'll be like, what, why, why do I feel like this? Oh, that's right. This is an emotion. That was Paul Fuhrer, and this is the Share Podcast. It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, O. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Share Podcast. And today, we have Paul Fuhrer joining us on the Share Podcast. And Paul came across my desk from our good friend, Anna David. And Paul is an addiction author, writer, blogger, but above all has a heart of gold. We did this interview while he was in his car in his garage so as not to disturb his family who was in the house. Paul is just a genuinely loving, caring, nice guy, family man, and has an incredibly touching story. It's the type of story that I love sharing on the Share Podcast. A story about how an absolute, complete train wreck can completely change their lives. So let's dive into Paul's story, but first, a quick message from our sponsors. Let me ask you this. Are you tired of people-pleasing? Are you a recovering perfectionist? Do you find that you're angry all the time? Irritable, restless, and discontent. Are you trapped in the cycle of self-sabotage? and find that you're soothing yourself with drugs, alcohol, relationships, sex, food, workaholism, or social media, then it's time to schedule a free consultation with me today. What if I told you that in just eight short weeks, you could reset your entire emotional state, be able to set healthy boundaries, let go of perfectionism, and finally get the relief you've always needed to be able to take a breath? And in that breath comes happiness, fulfillment, and joy. My name is Omar Pinto. I'm an NLP life coach, as well as an addiction recovery specialist. And I can help you discover what's holding you back from living the life you were always intended to live. So go to www.omarpinto.com and schedule a free consultation with me today. Today's episode is also brought to you by the SRC, the Share Recovery Community. The SRC is a private membership community that offers live online meetings as well as peer-to-peer recovery, sobriety support, and accountability. The biggest challenge for addicts and alcoholics is to connect with the tribe and to find the pathway that works for them. In the SRC, we meet you where you are at in your journey of recovery. Where are you at now? Where would you like to go? And how can we help you? The value of the SRC and these live online meetings is an opportunity to develop beautiful friendships with people all over the world. But more importantly, to get the support that you need to get sober and stay sober. So whether you're looking to enhance your current recovery program or find your sobriety tribe, this is the fellowship for you. And to join the SRC, it's only $1 for the first month. And then after that, it's only $12 a month. It's the best investment you can make in your recovery. So to join the SRC, 
Go to www.thesharepodcast.com. Go to the top of the navigation bar and click on the button that says Share Recovery Community. And join the Share Recovery Community for only $1 today. Are you looking for a new recovery-related podcast to add to your playlist? Then I have great news for you. The SRC has recently launched its first podcast titled The Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In the SRC, the Share Recovery Community, we have some amazing online meetings every single day. And one of those is our Tao Recovery Meeting. In this meeting, one chapter of the Tao De Ching is discussed every week as to how it relates to recovery. The content is so good, we decided to share this meeting as a podcast. So go to your favorite podcast app and search for the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast to check this podcast out today. And this week, I'm going to share our very first iTunes review on the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. It's from Synchronicity at its best. As part of my spiritual practice, I very recently started combining the teachings of the Tao with my Christian practices. This podcast came to be at the perfect time. Thank you. Thanks for the fantastic review, Synchronicity at its best. And for those of you listening, please be sure to check out the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery podcast and leave us a five-star rating and review for the show. It's the best way to show your support for the podcast. Hey, Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, O. I'm excited to have you on the show, man. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm, uh, even though I am uh, sequestered in my garage sitting in my car doing this, I, I don't want... It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, this is not one of the ones that's going to get posted on YouTube, guys. So it's classic. I, I turned on the video camera, and there's Paul hiding in his car. In the half-light <laughs> of my computer. <laughs> This is this is the epitome of new age America, where uh, your family actually is able to extract you from your own home. <laughs> they did. They literally moved me into my garage. They, they I'm sitting in my car. I had nowhere else to go. <laughs> literally out of options. I'm just like, well, I guess we're gonna have to do this. <laughs> this is this is definitely higher powered. Yeah. Is this a first, by the way? Somebody doing it out of their car, just just out of curiosity in their garage. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> this is awesome. Not we, even we, planned. We might we might actually air it, you know, what the hell? Anyway, <laughs> I anyway, don't I'll, care. I'll, I'll, okay, yeah. This is actually cool. This is kind of like what is that one with Seinfeld? Comedians in cars having coffee or oh, something? Yeah, that's exactly. It. Yeah. All right, dude. This could be it. I'm going to go get in my car. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic oh, shit. oh my right, god right. but we go nowhere that's the best part about the show we, we, none of us go out we'd go nowhere <laughs> we are going absolutely nowhere that's for sure all right <laughs> actually we are going somewhere all right so folks uh very excited today we have paul fewer joining us on the share podcast paul was referred to me by our good friend anna david she wrote me this email Paul is one of the best writers I know. He wrote for me at After Party, and he has a book coming out in May called Bottleneck that may be the best book about recovery I've ever read. 
Paul is an addiction recovery writer whose work has appeared in The Fix, After Party Magazine, The Literary Review, and The Live Oak Review, among others. Does that sound about right, Paul? It sounds exactly right. That was really kind of Anna, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's, she's a rock star, man. She goes out of her she way really for people is. she loves. I guess. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. feel she's loved. Done, yeah, she's, she's hooked me up a few times, too. She, she hooked me up with uh, Sarah Heppola. Oh, yeah, Blackout. What a fantastic yeah. book. Oh, magnificent. So that was an honor yeah, yeah. to have her on. All right, so, buddy, let's dive right in. So first of all, before we get into your story, tell us a little bit about what your normal daily routine looks like, including recovery. Other than living out of my garage when the time calls for it, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I wake up every morning in sheer chaos. I'm a father of three. I've got a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 2 and a half year old, and just you know, chaos to get up. Uh, you know, I'm a pretty average guy. Lives in Central Ohio. Uh, my routine involves getting him out the door, going to school. I go to work. Uh, hopefully, not one of the three gets sick or something, and I have to come home. And then I uh, come home and repeat the process and get them all get them all uh, to bed and start it all over the next day. It's as boring as it sounds. <laughs> so. <laughs> all right, so. You've got to find some time for writing and recovery in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm oversimplifying. My wife's fantastic. She does a lot of the uh, the braiding of the hair and the putting of the underwear on and okay. hooking them up with the eye, you know, the iPad at night, you know, giving them the binkies and all. So she's the, uh, the the silent partner here. But yes, I spend a lot of time uh, working on addiction recovery articles for a number of publications. Like you mentioned, I write you know about two to three a week. Uh, I work on a, uh, a podcast of my own. It's a music podcast. We've been entering our second year with that. It's called Drop the Needle. Uh, that just turned uh, weekly. So that's eating up a lot of my time. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, as you well know. <laughs> so, oh, yes. I was just thinking It that. sounded like a really good idea to do it weekly. And then, uh, <laughs> then the reality of it kicked in. Um, and then I've got some other you know, writing projects to keep my brain active. I'm also uh, kicking off a, um, a recovery-specific publishing imprint in November, uh, with our first book. So, uh, pretty excited about that. And, uh, beyond that, uh, you know, my, my days are, if I, if I'm not writing or cleaning up, uh, puke, if my kids are sick yep. or cleaning up after the cats, uh, I am, uh, collecting vinyl records usually. Um, okay. those. I'm one of those guys, um, try to go to see as many live shows as I can here in Columbus. And, um, uh, I'm just rapidly discovering that I, I am the oldest person at the shows, and it's starting oh. to really wear on me. <laughs> Buddy, so. you are the you are the old guy in the club. I told I went to the show the other night. I turned around. And I was like, I, I thought that I might be marginally older, but it was an all ages show, and that really uh, that levels the playing field real quick. You realize <laughs> just how old you are. Yeah, it was nuts. But yeah, there's a lot going on. A lot of writing, a lot of music, a lot of uh, you know, just just sheer chaos. But it's controlled chaos, and I'm uh, and I'm sober, and I'm really uh, really thrilled by that. So that's not. What is your What does your recovery routine look like? Do you still help meetings? You know that kind of deal, or you know what's that look like? Yeah, I I go to uh, you know I got really lucky. But the very first meeting I ever set foot into, uh, I ended up uh, that became my home group. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like I just you know married the first girl I dated, but it actually is a fantastic uh, fantastic meeting. And uh, that's where I met my sponsor, and uh, that's pretty much the backbone of my uh, my recovery. Number of other meetings, but 
with a, you know, a lot of the 12 step work that I do, you know, that, that informs it as well. You know, a lot of the writing that I do, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the, the giving back and, you know, getting comments back from others and that's really fulfilling. And, uh, but the backbone of it is the meetings and, you know, listening and sharing with other alcoholics. Beautiful, beautiful. So one of my questions is, because this is a, a, a pivotal point, and actually one of the, one, for many of us, at least it is for me, is my relationship with my higher power. So, yeah. you know, how do you maintain your relationship with your higher power, that conscious contact? You know, it's, I didn't have a spiritual connection to anything uh, before when I was drinking. So this has been an entirely new experience for me, um, you know, and I've had to... Uh, really find creative ways to do it other than, you know, starting to, you know, just praying to whatever, you know, at first is really what started, uh, you know, getting me uh, closer, I feel to something. And so every morning, you know, saying the same thing over and over again, got me into the, the, the spirit of it and started to really start to understand that there's a connectivity to everything. And now it's become this uh, strange. I wouldn't call it strange, but it's it's my thing. So I guess it is strange. Every morning I listen to the same song, and I won't reveal what it is. It's not uh, it's not Spice Girls. I put it that way or something. <laughs> no, there's not, nothing horrible, but it's like it's something that I listen to. I literally listen to the same song every day. It's like three minutes and eight seconds, and during that time, it gives me um, something to connect to. I know what to expect. There's a familiarity to it. You know the rhythm and the cadence and the words, and during that time i'm able to you know give thanks and you know think and clear my head for the day and uh and move forward and that really is that that is for me that that's a that's a huge milestone because just you know a few years ago that i I wouldn't have even entertained the idea of a spiritual or a higher power well what i love about this this um strategy strategy um is that it's the same song every day which means that as you're going to do the practice, there's no thinking. It's like, no. I'm going to go, I'm going to turn on my song, I'm going to connect with my higher power. Yep. Inten- intention is set before I'm even sitting. So yes. you, your mind and your body is already getting into preparation to do the practice. That's so, exactly right. I've never heard of such a strategy, but I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. And this is why I ask it, because people listening are going to go, oh, shit, what a great idea. I think I'm going to find my favorite song, either Justin Bieber or the Spice Girls, and connect (laughs) with my higher power every single morning for three minutes. I think it's genius. Yeah. And what's really funny is that it wasn't like some sort of calculated move on my part. It was just, it just was going on. Like after about five days, the song was just in the background. Now it's like wallpaper for me and it okay. clears my head. Yeah, uh, It's probably as good as anybody you know else for a jog or whatever strategies they mm-hmm. have, or just, you know, uh, clearing their head in the morning and kneeling or whatever they want to do. But yeah, for me, it's, that's what it is. So. Awesome. Awesome. I love new spiritual <laughs> practices yeah, because a lot of it's it's very um, they're all very similar in many cases, yeah. right? So it's either you got the ones that have a relationship with a god or sure. uh, uh, you know um, deity type, you know, so god of my understanding, where they actually do a prayer, and then there's the ones that don't have that, and so it's more of their higher powers nature. So they go out and they connect 
outdoors. So they'll go for a walk or yeah. something something that connects them to nature. So it's a lot of it is nature. Uh, the other one is the actual physical practice. This is something that is a little bit different. So it's nice to have variety. Variety is a spice yeah. of life. All right, good. Well, you know, what can I say? I mean, I, I kicked it off by sitting in my garage and now I gave you something else brand new. There you so, go, man. It I'm just full gets... Of, I'm full yeah. of surprises. I'm full of surprises. <laughs> you can get clean and do an interview in your car, in your garage. <laughs> While your family enjoys the home. Uh, so, having, you know, the best part is they're eating dinner, too. Should I add that part? Should I add that? It's amazing. It's amazing. It's the, it, it, this is the inequity dude, of my life. This that is, this is, is yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll leave that. We'll leave that one alone. <laughs> so, all right. So let's start talking a little bit about sobriety. First of all, sure. uh, how much clean time do you have and when is your anniversary date? I have, I'm closing in almost in five years. Uh, my sober date is January 11th, and maybe that's a little presumptuous saying I'm closing in on five years, but it feels like it, you know, so I'm getting close, and I'm excited mm-hmm. about it. So it was a big deal for me to put five days together not that long ago. So, you know, it's uh, five years, you know, getting, getting close. Well, here's the, here's the thing, you know, if, if I go, I'm already at the malls, this Christmas shit already out. <laughs> So I mean, I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's practically. It already feels like we're 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 closing in on New Year's. I know. It's like the back to school stuff was coming out in May, and I was getting all that ang- ang- anxiety about it. Yeah, same deal, man. So exactly. Yeah. So I'm looking. I'm looking forward to five years, but you know, roughly four and a half. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. And so, tell us briefly how old you sure. were. The first time you drank or used drugs, and more importantly, how they made you feel. Sure. Uh, I was 15 years old, and I was at a, I believe it was a Christmas party um, with my family. Uh, my extended family was all there, and I uh, felt, you know, kind of out of the loop. You know, I was old enough to, you know, feel like I should be involved with all the adult things, but I wasn't. Um, so I stole two bottles of Zima. <laughs> And brought them up to my uh, brought them up to my closet, and uh, I uh, decided to uh, to that would be my first drink. Uh, and my well, I remember my my aunt who I uh, who I love. She was always uh, um, an expert on everything, you know, like whether it be scary movies or uh, you know uh, sex or whatever. You know, she used to you know talk about how amazing Zima was at the time when it first came out. She said it's better than sex, and I'm like I don't know anything about sex, but I might as well try this. So how it made me feel though was it it made me feel um, like I belonged. Not, not only did I I belong, but it it, um, it also made me feel. Uh, like I wanted to feel like this my entire life. Like it was just like the quieted all the insecurities in my brain. Um, you know, it, it's incidentally does all the things that that three minute and eight second song does for me. It just kind of like zones it out, you know? And, uh, but that's how I felt. I felt, um, I felt at peace, you know, and I was just, uh, looser and funnier and, you know, at least to myself in the closet there, but, <laughs> but I was, uh, uh, yeah, it, that, that's exactly how it made me feel. It was just, ease, uh, just, ease and comfort, ease and comfort. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah and I, I don't know if anybody else has uh, Zima as their first drink, but, uh, it's, uh, that's, that's something else. Uh, cause it's, you know, like electric velvet going down your, uh, it's real bright tasting, like yeah, it's not. It's not like you know. I, I would assume that it wasn't that bad. Oh no, I loved it. Okay, yeah, <laughs> so. I was about to say Zima. They designed it to taste yummy. Yeah, it was. It was definitely like designed for a fifteen-year-old, if not a you know someone much younger. So, <laughs> so fuck. 
Yeah, no, yeah. there's there's certain ones in there that you don't even realize it, and then next thing you know, you're vomiting, you know, uncontrollably and waking up in a parking lot somewhere, you know. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> luckily, luckily, I had the presence of mind to you know stick stick with two and leave it at that. But uh, for I had a good buzz for like an hour, and that was like the best feeling in the world. So I knew that I wanted to feel like that for a long time. All right. Okay. So at this point, I'm going to turn sure. the show over to you. Paul, it's time for you to share your story, the battle against drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life when you hit rock bottom, and then finally your journey into recovery up until today. So, Paul, take it away. This is quite a tall order to go through, just letting you know. Uh, but, you know, uh, you've been through this. It looks like 200 times, by the way. So I, I don't know if my stories would be all that unique, but I'll do my best. <laughs> They're all unique, brother. They're I know, all unique. Uh, <laughs> this is the first one from a garage. I... Uh, Alcohol has always been in the background of my life. It's never been like a huge presence. Like, you know, my parents never uh, were, were hugely responsible, always looking out for my younger sister and I, and they never had beer in the house. Uh, but they, uh, but my, it was always on the edges of the fringes. Like my grandparents would have it. They would have a stocked liquor cabinet. So we go over to their house and that was like Mecca. The first minute you'd walk in, my grand, my, my grandfather asked my dad, you want to snort, you know, of something, you know, and I didn't know what that meant, but it sounded cool. And so, uh, and next thing I know, they're drinking St. Pauli girls or scotches or whatever. But, um, I just knew that eventually I would graduate to alcohol. Like it was just something for me to, I would just get there, you know, because it was um, just uh, as, as next level as, you know, changing a grade, you know, it was like once I get like uh, become a junior in high school, you know, it's the same deal. It's just like, you know, I feel like that would be my future. It's like eventually I'll be able to drink alcohol. Um, and uh, I like the way that it made everybody around me uh, act, you know, it was just, uh, you know, there was always a quick wit. Everyone was always in a good mood. Uh, you know, there was music, you know, so it was always in the background. Now, alcoholism, was also in the background, but I didn't recognize it as such. Right. Uh, you know, so I just, uh, I didn't have any context for that. All I knew is that at a certain point, I'd be able to drink. Um, so Zima aside, you know, I, I really didn't go full bore after the Zima. I was, you know, a pretty sheltered uh, high school. I was like the editor of our school paper. Um, I tried everything I could to make that school paper, like the Entertainment Weekly, by the way. It was just like, you know, I did not want to report on the students. I wanted to report on like movies and music and stuff. But uh, that was that was my life, you know. But uh, I, uh, I was, my parents gave me a curfew of like 10 p.m. So I wasn't exactly getting out and ripping it up. Um, and uh, my parents were also the, um, they're the manufacturers of crash systems for all of uh, the world's auto manufacturers. So no kidding. Neat little tidbit there but uh yeah so there was a lot of uh quiet pressure for me as well as my sister not to screw up <laughs> because it was a small town uh outside up on the lake lake erie in ohio they didn't want you to be a crash test dummy <laughs> <laughs> just wait we're getting there okay <laughs> So no, you're exactly right, and and you know my parents, uh, very loving family, but you know I, I, it was just bound to happen, you know, like this this it was just all around me. My you know you could see my hints and flourishes everywhere I went. Um, so high school wasn't a problem. I wasn't like sneaking out and going to parties or anything like that. Even college, my first two years, I uh, I was at a satellite campus for a, a main school, so the main university. So I lived at home. So even then for another two years, it was like, you know, just like uh, high school part two. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't out there ripping it up or anything. 
But because of all that, I feel like it was like this dream deferred where when I finally got off my own and went to college, I had a lot of ground to make up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I, I, Mm -hmm. those two years may as well have been a decade. Um, so, you know, went to college quickly, uh, discovered that I could drink whenever I wanted, uh, however much I wanted, uh, and not well, by the way, cause I was drinking everything from, you know, I would just drink anything I could get my hands on or wherever you could sneak into a dorm. We always looked like we were moving, by the way, we always had luggage, you know, like, you know, we just had luggage with it, you know, bringing like, you know, we'd bring like these, uh, these duffel bags down and like meet somebody at the side stairwell to fill it up full of, uh, cases of beer and bring it back up to our uh-huh, dorm. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. So we, and that was probably the first entree. It was just basically beer. But, um, after, college i was pretty much you know <laughs> most everybody had a plan mine was uh i was majoring in english because i was good at writing that's literally as far as i thought ahead of my life was like i guess i can write and then after that i was like what am i going to do with this so i decided to go to grad school because i didn't want to uh either one work at my parents place or two because you know i didn't have that business acumen but two i didn't uh i just didn't want to grow up I, I wanted to go to school so i had a uh, paid vacation to Arizona State University, uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. So, <laughs> and all that entails. Uh, so I w- went to go get my PhD and quickly discovered that uh, it was going to be a master's because I was not putting the time. <laughs> so um, I was off on my own and now 3,000 miles away. Um, yeah. You know, nobody's looking over my shoulder. Nobody's telling on me. Uh, you know, I don't have my sister, you know, telling my parents, like, oh, I think Paul's hungover. Um, you know, I just... Every night I went out, every single night with a different person. Um, and I remember somebody kind of sort of told me I may be an alcoholic. And this was really early on. I was like 23 and I was pissed. And I like stopped drinking for a week just to prove them wrong. <laughs> you know, like it, uh, um, it was just that kind of stuff, you know? So, and then, then so grad school was punctuated with a lot of um, mistakes, like a lot of consequences, but nothing uh, severe. You know, I was shocked that I got out of, uh, uh, Phoenix in uh, Arizona State without uh, any, uh, you know, losing anything more than money and dignity. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, after that, again, didn't have much of a plan. So I moved back home, uh, lived with my parents again, which I think is probably the natural course of uh, somebody, you know, who gets a master's in English. I think they have to go back and live at home for a couple of years. So, which is what I did. And, uh, uh, my parents were just, I just felt so bad for my parents. They just always looked at me like, you know, what happened to our son? You know, like I'm just going to the local bar. That was like the very first thing I did when I moved back from Phoenix, uh, back to Milan, Ohio, where I'm from, which is incidentally the birthplace of Thomas Edison and not much else. But uh, I would go to the Wonder Bar and and that was, I was there like every night. Uh, but I uh, serendipitously uh, got a couple classes to teach, like some basic freshman comp classes. Um, and there were like two of them at weird times and it was clear why they wanted, you know, they had a hard time filling these spots because one was like at seven in the morning and the other one was like at eight at night or something. So I had a lot of time to screw up in between. Um, so after that, uh, that's when the drinking really started take, picking up because I was like, well, I have nothing to do. Yeah. So, and I have nowhere to be. So, um, and I also incidentally had a side gig working at a movie theater as a projectionist. If you remember when they had, Oh, get out. It was my favorite job of all time. Still is. Of course. It still is. Still is. I mean, I romanticize that place to no end. That's a whole other topic, but I mean, yeah. So, 
oh man, I would go thread up the movies and you know, well, man, I could go on that subject forever, but nobody For wants to hear sure. about it. That's yeah. <laughs> so, um, but God, yeah, I, I guess I'm getting a little wistful about it, but long story short, I, uh, I remember there was a moment where I drank too much one afternoon. I just went to like this local bar because I was filling up hours, uh, between there's, you know, a normal responsible human being would like, you know, do normal responsible human things. I was like, I better, or just park myself at a bar and you know drink until my next class and i went and passed out in uh the parking lot i remember i woke up and i turned and looked and there were like three of my students like staring at me like waving and i was just like you know it was the saddest sickest feeling you're just this elevator plummet in your stomach you know you're just like you're not quite sure what just happened you're like and then you look at your clock and you're just like by the way it wasn't very much unlike this where i was sitting in a vehicle you know like except so but i was looking at my clock and i was like oh my god i missed a class how did i do that that's that's irresponsible i think and uh next thing i know you know i'm losing that job and then i was you know trying to uh, support myself on a projectionist salary uh which is not good but so i had to grow up real quick and so i uh or so i thought it still never happened so i got a series of jobs uh uh, one at a, a publishing company here in Columbus. Uh, and then I felt entitled to a lot more than that job. And I just quit it after like a, maybe like eight months. I was just like, you know, actively drinking. And I don't know if that, that uh, gave me license somehow to feel like I was superior to everybody. But, you know, I just felt like I was better than this entry level job that I had gotten, um, that I was unemployed, you know, and then we had a, our t- 10 year old, our current 10 year old now, he was a you know, little baby. And I said, I just want to stay at home and be a stay at home dad. And let me tell you, that was the dumbest decision I could have ever made because I have no idea. I, I, I did not know that I did not like babies. I had no idea. I, just thought, that I, I thought I would naturally like my, my baby, but it was just like, I had no idea. I've never grown, I've never grown up around a baby in my life. I've never grown up around a child that I have to take care of. I just thought it would like naturally kick in. Like my DNA would like somehow teach me like, you need to do this. It was insane. Um, so I started having a Coke by like drinking in the morning, you know, like, you know, ha- you know, having a beer at like nine o'clock while he's watching, you know, uh, Daniel Tiger or whatever it was, was not, didn't seem all that wrong to me. It was just basically like, ah, well, daddy's going to have a, have a drink while you're doing this. And then it just suddenly cascaded from there. And, you know, I'm going to the Russian liquor store at like at one o'clock. And, uh, you know, so I have a series of these. And you your know, wife or is your wife? Oh, so this is interesting too. So my wife at the time, uh, well, she's been a nurse for as long as I've met her. So about, you know, she's had the same job. She's the complete opposite of me. She's, you know, she's not yeah. impulsive. Just sticks to things. She's also allowed to be in the house while her husband sits in the car. Exactly. It makes sense now. Now it's all making sense. (laughs) So she's a nurse uh, and she was working night shift at the time. So that also compounded things. So, you know, she gets home and, you know, we're just ships passing in the night. Um, But eventually that the bottom fell out of that for multiple reasons. One, I just realized I can't raise another human being, you know, like a child. I don't know how to do that. I I mean, it's, I mean, it's insane. I I can't, um, every, I failed every possible parenting level there. I mean, test there was, um, with that. I just, you were drinking. Yeah. But I mean, even before that, I didn't know how to put their socks on. It was things like that. You know, it's just like, yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's parts where, you know, Carrie would be off to work and then, you know, it was starting, things were starting to get real because it would be like 11 o'clock at night. 
you know, my oldest is asleep and I'm thinking I'm out of booze, you know, I'm out, I'm out of things to drink. So I do these calculated moves where I'm just like, well, I think I could go to Kroger, which is our grocery store. I could go to Kroger and buy wine and be back here in 15 minutes and nobody will have stolen my child. Those were the things that went through my head. Yep. Like I was thinking That's, nobody's yep. abducting my kid. Who thinks that way? Yeah. <laughs> An alcoholic. Just, I'm just like, absolutely. Oh, Makes sense kidding. to me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, I literally had these thoughts where, well, if somebody were to steal Elliot, there would be footage somewhere of it, or there would be like suspicious activity or something. And the cops would be, I mean, my brain was just like, so at this point I'm drinking everything from beer to vodka and drinking it warm, you know, cheap vodka at this point and wine and anything else I can get my hands on and hiding it all over the house. So it's like the world's saddest advent calendar for my wife to open up. You know, she's like opening up a dresser drawer and all of a sudden there's an empty bottle of scotch there waiting mm. for. But, um, we eventually decided it's probably a good idea that I don't raise a baby, a baby of my own. So we uh, got childcare and I got a job. Um, and actually at the firm that I'm at now, um, but it's a torturous road to where I'm at now. But, um, and I work at a lar- one of the largest banks in, uh, in America. So, but at the time I had an entry level job. And again, about a year into that, I just decided I was better than this and mm-hmm. quit it again. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you're nodding as though this is the normal course of action too i love it it's just like, Buddy, like yeah, we, we are the we are the knight we are the dwarfs we, what is it we are the giant of our dreams and the dwarfs of our nightmares i've actually never heard that and that's amazing giants of our dreams and dwarfs of our nightmares you know we think we're the greatest thing since cheese puffs and then the next day we're <laughs> we're, we're, we're 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 more worthless than chewing gum under a shoe it's the yeah. the the the, 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 the 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 dichotomy is is staggering and i think i was aware of that you know that i was the chewing gum at the same time too like i had that you know inferiority too i mm-hmm. knew underneath it all the truth of it was i wasn't that good but i was going to really make a statement and really screw these people over by quitting you know and it did nothing beyond yeah ruin my uh, <laughs> our will to raise this child i was telling you about so i just put the onus on my my uh, wife and uh, her parents and my parents to help us out um, and then I don't want this to be like a resume. So I'll, I'll try to like, you know, skip ahead a little bit cause I don't want to make it boring for everybody. Like, and then in 2005, no. Uh, and then I, uh, I, I really just bought them. I didn't bottom out yet, but when I quit, I just figured I'd get another job. Like there'd just be another job right behind it. I just thought by magic, there would be another job uh-huh. and I would just go to indeed.com and look at it and nothing. You know, this was around the mortgage collapse. This is like 2008, 2009. There's nothing. I mean, there was absolutely nothing. So uh, very Brutal. quickly, um, <laughs> we discovered that uh, we weren't going to be able to afford our house anymore. Um, and that, and it was one of those things that didn't happen slowly, like my wife sitting over furtively looking over a budget going, I don't know how we're going to make this work. It just, it was just like a car over a cliff. We're just basically like, we don't have a second salary. We can't afford this. We can't afford daycare. We can't, and no one's giving us money because they know, you know, like what I'm all about. Because, oh yeah. You know, because I'm just in, you know, an empty vessel at this point who's lost and just keeps drinking. And, uh, you could measure my life in like, but I put in my recycling bin every Tuesday morning, mm. you know, it's out by the front of the curb. Um, but I took a last ditch effort uh, to get a job. I had a friend in Phoenix back from the Arizona State days. She was working at USA Today slash Gannett out there. And I moved out there uh, on 
on the hope that I would, that my family would be able to sell their house and follow me. And I lived with her who ended up being my boss for like three months, four months. And I turned their little spare bedroom into the world's worst alcoholic nest. You would have believed it was just like, there were, uh, empty bottles hidden everywhere under the sink. I mean, I had half full bottles. I couldn't track it. I mean, I was just in pockets, not even in pockets of my clothes. It'd be their clothes, you know, I'm like hiding stuff all over. Um, and I'm just not doing well at my job. And I'm just, that's the thing. It's like, I kept thinking I was an amazing employee, uh-huh. you know, and, but no one else, everyone else sees it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So they weren't able to move out. So I, uh, I, did, I made this really strange positive decision, which was, I'm just going to move back to Ohio and see what happens. Moved back. And that's when things, that's when the bottom fell out is, uh, I started to do things like forget my son at kindergarten, um, or show up to daycare with alcohol in my breath, um, do more of the leaving kids and going to get wine stuff. Um, you know, and, I didn't have any responsibilities, you know, I just, and our house was for sale and we needed money, but we were living off a 401k that was quickly evaporating. Um, and none of it seemed, here's the thing. None of this seemed at the time to me that big of a deal. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Like this stuff happens. You know, my wife's like, this stuff doesn't happen to everybody, but to me it's like, this stuff happens. Um, but yeah. Shit happens, honey. Shit happens. <laughs> I think, you know, I just, I, I, I would love to tell you that my rock bottom was forgetting my kids uh, there and doing that, but I actually entered treatment um, and I was there for about oh, not even full two weeks, uh, but it was enough to, you know, get, it was an expensive introduction to AA is what it was. Uh, I met some really great people who I still talk to. In fact, one of the guys I met in there is one of my co-hosts for the, the music podcast we do. So we're really tight. Uh, but I, told everybody that I went to treatment. Like I told everybody, like, I was like, you know, as though that was it, like, you know, I went to rehab, I'm better, you know, like, and that was a, not a great experience for me. Um, but I got out and I just told everybody I was sober. I'm fine. I'm fixed. And two weeks later, I'm in my car very much like this again, drinking uh, a tall boy of Labette blue, you know, in a parking lot, you know, but then I had to keep the lie up. That was rock bottom for me. It was like telling everybody that I was sober but I'm really not. <laughs> and so like for five months, you know, just telling everybody and trying to excuse all the sweating and all the, you know, the uh. stumbling and stuff. And it just got unmanageable as we, as you've heard a million times, it just became that. And uh, I was just thinking about the sweating. You just brought me back in time. <laughs> the uncontrollable sweating that has, you can't explain to anybody. No, no, no. Because nobody else is just walking around just (laughs) profusely sweating. No, especially when I was, you know, especially in late fall, early winter in Ohio, nobody is like doing that. So it's just like, you know, and I'm just, I'm the only one there, like in a t-shirt, everyone else is like bundled up and I'm just like constantly sweating, but you know, just needed to get to that cruising altitude. You know, once I was there, I was fine. I was a kind of a functioning human being, but rock bottom for me was lying to everybody, telling that I was sober and uh, giving people advice on how to get sober too. That was to me the most unforgivable thing I think I've done in my drinking career, honestly, to this day, I think that, um, is that, you know, all of a sudden one presuming that I'm some sort of expert when I have no 
no basis whatsoever. I'm just basically pulling shit out of thin air going, I think this sounds good. Yeah. And then, cause you know, when you tell everybody like on Facebook or social media, your friends that you're sober, you're bound to get some people saying, Hey, I think I have a problem, you know, which is how this whole thing works. But I didn't respect it. I didn't respect that part. And I just started telling people the things I thought that they needed to hear. They're asking me how treatment went. And I don't know, because I was just only there for detox and, you know, got out. But because uh, I don't want to stay there for the, I didn't want to actually, I didn't want to believe in any solutions. Um, but yeah, that was the most unforgivable thing for me. I, I, I actually very recently found some old Facebook messages to some people like uh, around that time. I was just like, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, I wince looking at these things. You almost have to cover your eyes looking at what I was saying. It's, and I love it because the messages are at like 2.33 a.m. You know, it's just like, you know, uh, you know, there's no other telltale sign. So and they're long and rambling. But uh, I'm a writer. So when you add alcohol to it, I can't stop. Um, and then last but not least, I, uh, I, I went, I set foot in an AA room, like I told you, the one that I is now my home group. And I just didn't talk. I got in there and I was, I sat as far away from the, you know, as close to the door as possible. Uh, you know, I just didn't really engage, but I kept going back. Uh, and I was still trying to work on a way out of going to AA meetings. Uh, mm-hmm, you know, cause mm-hmm. I totally, I was trying to, trying to think of like an excuse, yep. trying to think of a, again, this is not, my story is not unique in any stretch of the mind, but what's funny is to me, when during this time, I was the only person in the history of the world that ever had this problem. Yes. You know, I was just like, yeah. you know, that's terminally unique. Yeah. And then I, um, my sobriety, uh, I started feeling, uh, I, the biggest thing that happened to me was that I started feeling, uh, grief, uh, mm. for alcohol. I felt, started feeling like it let me down, uh, that it was gone. It was never coming back. Um, mm. and that was, the thing that brought me to my sponsor, I brought that up in a meeting and my sponsor said, I haven't thought of that in like a decade. And so we started talking and, uh, he became my sponsor and, and it's just been a wonderful thing. It's just one, it's literally one Lego piece after another keeps connecting. And I'm just, you know, I, I, I just keep doing the next right thing, I guess, which I don't really think yes. it is. I just don't just, I'm not, it's not calculated. It's just, it's just amazing how this stuff lines up, but you know, and now, when I was struggling to get five days and then turned into five weeks and five months. And now I'm looking at five years. I mean, um, you know, it's it's like, it's a constant struggle, but I mean, it's, um, uh, it's gotten so much easier and I love giving back in the way that I can, because as a writer, uh, I have that genetic need to process and articulate Mm -hmm. things with words. Uh, and that's either cathartic selfishly for me, or it's, uh, you know, helping others or both. But I, you know, for a long time, just try to figure out, was I a bad person who did good things in life or a good person who did bad bad things in life? You know, and I just, you know, I stopped thinking about all that stuff and just uh, decided to start uh, living an actual life of substance. Um, It doesn't look like that while I'm sitting in my garage, but I do have a life of substance. (laughs) It is actually a perfect depiction, yeah. right? Like, yeah. This, 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 this is this actually how you thing. end up inside yeah. a, you know, I'm actually, you know. By the way, this is my rock bottom. Right. <laughs> so, this is my new one. I, uh, no. It's actually not my home. <laughs> it's actually the basement of the gym. <laughs> Which would have been fitting, you know? It's just yeah, like, totally. The YMCA yeah, parking, underground yeah. parking. I know. It's just like, I... I, uh, I don't, <laughs> those are all real possibilities for totally, what could have happened to me. 
you know, I'm just like, and uh, I, I just got to this point where I'm looking around at my life recently and I have good things. I have good relationships, like genuine relationships, which I, to me was that, I know that sounds like so non, you know, non-consequential, but to me it was like relationships were a mean to, means to an end, always. I was always trying to figure out who is going to do what for me or who is going to get me what or who's going to get me to this and, you know, working out this really fucked up geometry, you know, like, you know, trying to figure out all the people in my life and what they were going to do for me. Um, and now it's just like, I don't want anything. I just want, uh, I want my, you know, I want the simple things that you hear, you know, on lifetime movies. I just want my kids to be happy. And I just want my, you know, I want, you know, I want a fulfilling life, you know, and I have all that. I have a, you know, I went back to this job that I quit, you know, impulsively, I got hired back to that bank and I quickly rose to, you know, some really great, I had some great opportunities come my way and I've for once felt like I deserved them. And, you know, I don't take that for granted, you know, because I, cause I have to, you know, I, I live up to that every day. You know, I, I try to give more than the you know, requisite hundred percent because I, I don't, I remember what it's like staying on my couch, you know, this, you know, uh, looking for a job thinking, you know, where's this? And it was like months and months and months and nothing, but, um, yeah. And so th- there ends, ends my, uh, my, my boring narrative of my, uh, my alcoholic history. So, 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 <laughs> so, so you've got, here's the cool thing. You've got five, you're coming up on five years, which yeah. means year one is still pretty fresh. Yes. So yes. what was, what was that first year like? So the first year uh, was surreal. Um, I didn't have a lot of physical problems, but um, I just had a lot of disbelief that any of it was going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've described it this way before. I got sober in January, right? So I got sober in Ohio. So I wasn't identifying with people. I was identifying with the Ohio countryside. I was identifying with these bleak, barren roads and these empty fields, right? That's how I felt. That's what it, that's what it was like. Um, because I had to go, you know, you rebuild it, your brain chemistry is changing, everything's changing. Uh, um, but I, that first year was just about me realizing how far off the map I'd gone. Um, you know, I just let myself completely go mentally, physically, emotionally. And I was just, I was on another, you know, on another ocean. I, I, I was just, I thought I was just, you know, uh, in the same circle the whole entire time, the same orbit, no way. I mean, I was just, I had to get home. When I say home, I just mean like I had to recenter myself and really build relationships, which I'm still building relationships with my wife, for example, um, because I damaged and destroyed so many relationships and there were so many consequences and I had to come to terms with all the things that I didn't want to come to terms with before, like IRS bills or, uh, you know, all the things that I was just putting away visa cards that I, by the way, I opened several credit cards specifically when I didn't have a job, by the way, I opened credit cards specifically to go buy alcohol. I'm not even joking. So I could go to the bar and I hid those credit cards from my wife for a little while of course. until she found them. Cause she's smarter than me. So, and then, um, <laughs> but she, uh, yeah, it's just, we're still paying that stuff off. But I mean, it's that kind of stuff that, that first year was just me coming to terms with holy shit. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this the last 20 years I'd thought all of this was excused because, Hey, it's me. This is okay. It's me. 
it's not you doing these things. You know, it's Paul. You know, it's, it's okay because it's me. I'm allowed to do this. Um, I'm allowed to, you know, do you know who I am? Yeah, that kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I hear that often from some of my other friends, but that's how I felt. And then when I was, I was humbled. I was humbled to realize that I was nobody. You know, I wasn't special. You know, I wasn't unique. I wasn't, um, I had a lot of apologizing to do and like genuine apologizing, not just writing words and saying, Hey, I'm really sorry about that yep. time. I grew up in your shoes or that time. I tried mm-hmm. to make out with you in a stairwell or something. You know, it's just like, you know, <laughs> there was some real, real, real apologies. I do. Uh, uh, those are good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's also the thing too, is like, I was really excited about doing the amends part. Cause I just wanted to jump when I was doing step work with my sponsor mm-hmm. to that part. Cause I just wanted to start apologizing. Right after. And he goes, you don't even know why you're apologizing. Correct. Like, you, don't even know, you know what I mean? He's like, don't even, you don't Stop. even know what you're about. Yeah. You just feel bad about something. Correct. So I'm glad you're you tired of feeling like shit. Yes. Okay. Yes. This is all about you. You feel guilty. You feel yucky. You feel yes. dirty and you want to run around and say you're sorry. So somebody go, it's all right. It's okay. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. 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 I did I did yeah. that with my five-year-old son. I apologized to him very early on. You're asking me that first year. He yeah. was the same kid, by the way, that I <laughs> tried to raise for a year. Uh, you know, fuck that up. But he totally. was watching, I think, PBS Kids or whatever like that. And my brain is all over the place. And I just started crying. This was like days after, you know, a week after getting sober. And I started apologizing to him. He has no idea what's going on. You know, he can't process this. He's never seen me cry, and now he doesn't know why. Maybe he has. He probably did. And I don't even remember it. But it's just like, it's just this. These are the sorts of things that you know. I I just had to come to terms with. So the first year was basically a survey expedition, and just you know, adding things to this list, and just going, "Good lord, I have to do this too." Uh-huh. So. Yeah, that's my first year. That's a very that's long a, answer, a short question. So. No, no, that's it. And, and it's Scott, I'm so glad I asked it because it's so important. Yeah. We, as soon as we get sober, we immediately put the cart before the horse. Yeah, at least I did. Oh, no, we all do. We're the giants of our dreams, the dwarfs of our nightmares, egomaniacs with an inter- inferiority complex. Yeah. There is this whole, this, this, this giant feeling of guilt and shame just just yes. all over us and you just want yes. to run out and apologize to everybody and thank god we have sponsors to guide us through the process yeah. they're like dude stop danger yeah. danger stop just absolutely uh, seriously get yourself centered pull it together because you're going to cause more harm than good and here's yeah. the thing too there's direct amends and there's indirect amends. Yes, yes. And until you understand the difference, don't say shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're so 100% spot on. And I only know that from making a couple mistakes up front. Oh. You're absolutely right. I mean, those are just as important as the direct. I mean, well, I, had, I, I had a buddy of mine that, that was, he was running around. It happened. You know, he had one of those white light moments. And then he just started messaging people on Facebook yep. and saying, Sorry. I'm like, dude, you need to stop immediately. No, man. No, this is the right thing to do. I go, seriously, stop. Yep. Yep. Right. And then he's like, a couple of days later, man, I wish I, wish I would have listened to you. Yep. I'm like, why? What happened? <laughs> dude, one of these guys told me to go fuck myself. And, this and, yeah. that. and I'm like, yeah, dude, because you're, you're not checking your motives. No, you want to 
ticker tape parade is what you want. You want everybody to go, Oh, good for you. You want, you know, congratulations. You're a human being now. You know? Bingo. Bingo. Yeah. You, you want to, you want a prize for shit. People, you know, just not normal people do just naturally. Right. right? Yeah. Act, act like a decent human being. And all of a sudden, yeah, you want some sort of like a, 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 a yeah, ticker tape parade or whatever. That's fantastic. That's what we want. 30 days sober. It's all good now, guys. It's all good. It's all good. I got my 30 days. Check it out. Yeah, I can be trusted now. Um, I can yeah, be, I'm yeah. a tr- Give me the kids. I, ready for my job. Right? Let's, right. let's let's rock and roll. You're still an emotional disaster. Probably oh. worse than ever. You don't have alcohol anymore to soothe you. So you're a nervous wreck. And and you want to dive right back into shit. You know, it's it's amazing that like, I hadn't felt emotions in twenty years. I mean, mm-hmm. again, that's mm-hmm. not a unique thing that you know, no one's you know, first I'm the first person to ever say that. It's really, but to me, it was staggering. Like, oh, this is what this feels like, or oh, this is what I was avoiding, or you know, and those are you know, that still happens to me every now and again. Well, I'll be like, what? Why? Why do I feel like this? Oh, that's right. This is an emotion. You know, you know like, these shades. I mean, because I'm not that. You're right. Five. You know, I'm not not even five years. I'm so I'm close. I'm in that sweet spot of sobriety in some way. I wouldn't call it that. Don't patent that. I'm not gonna nope. get, I'm not not gonna trademark it. But I, am the, I I, I yeah. have the perfect memory for what it was like. Yep. What it's like now, and what I hope it's going to be. That's all yeah. I got. Yeah. Five years. Five years is huge, man. You know, you actually get the. Yeah. You know, you get your head out of your ass and yeah. five years, you know, I mean, you're coming right up on it right. and, you know, it does change. Those five year milestones are big. I'm on 15. So five, 10, 15. Thank you. Thank you. But it's once you start hit like once it's one, two, three, four, five. And then once you hit five, it's five, 10, 15. The ones in between aren't even really right. They're more like maintenance. And then right, right. that's when life begins. You can start using everything that you learn in those first five years to now navigate through life. Yeah. That's how this thing works. So if you're trying to, once again, if you're trying to live like that in the first five years, you're putting the cart before the horse. You have to let the natural process of recovery unfold naturally, which is what they talk about. You will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle you. Not in the first year. Just like, there should be a fucking asterisk in there, right? <laughs> Not in the first year. <laughs> well, yeah. You know what the funny thing is? is like, I always thought that I was going to be, I, I was going to outsmart my drinking, right? Mm-hmm. I was going to outsmart, I was going to be the guy uh-huh. that was, you know, outsmart. I thought the same thing about my recovery. Like, totally. You, you guys can follow these steps. Yep. I'm going to put this mind together. I, I can do this. I got it. I got you know, this. and, and, uh, you know, I have to, you know, every once in a while, you know, I can feel myself starting to skip some, you know, you were asking me earlier about, you know, my conscious contact, you know, steps. It, you know, every once in a while, I'll be like, do I need to listen to that song today? You know, I'll start doing that kind of stuff. I'm like, yes, yes, I do. It's like, you know, you could, I don't want to give a given to the complacency or I don't want to give into this because it's not, um, it's not just an empty routine anymore. It's just something you work at. And that's something that's every day I learn more and more about. Um, and that's the best part is like, I'm excited to learn more about recovery. You know, I, I, I'm excited to learn from others. That's, you know, that's something I never thought I'd ever say, you know, like, you know, at first I was like, I don't want to hear these people talk. I'm nothing, nothing like that. Now it's like, I can't get enough of it. 
you know, and I, I don't ever want to, you know, I don't ever want that to go away. That's, that's the thing I value most in my recovery. If you know, um, it probably won't, it probably won't. And I'll throw the probably in there, but if you stay connected to the program, stay re- connected to recovery, stay connected to people in the fellowship, what you learn quickly is it's a lot faster to learn from others than it yes. is from yourself. You know, you right. circumvent a lot of time and energy getting to what is it called? The on when you're reading a book, the crib notes or the the cliff notes, yeah, the cliff notes, the cliff yeah. notes, yeah. right? It, everyone that you come around in recovery, you know, represents cliff notes. And so as you're navigating through the fucking shitstorm of life in early recovery and you're at a meeting and you're talking about, oh, man, this fucking shit went down and blah, 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 blah. And then somebody goes, hey, my name's Omar. I'm an addict. And, you know, I remember when blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden you identify. Number two, you're not unique. Number three, they actually say something. You go, oh, dude, that's just what I needed. Yes. You bypass all the need to go out and, and do all the research on your own. But that, again, that's all the ego keeping us separate from everybody. It's, it's isolation, and so, which is something that, you know, early on, that's what you liked to do. It's the whole oh, idea of I want to be by myself doing my stuff, nobody telling me what to do. Yeah, I'll figure this out on my own. I will, I will do my own little program mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> as I yeah. see it. You know, I will read mm-hmm. just enough out of these books. I will pull just enough out of these yeah. blogs, you know, and make it look somewhat similar to what the easiest possible shortcut mm-hmm. that I can mm-hmm. take to recovery. So, so here's, here's what I'm curious. Um, it says, you know, uh, you wrote for The Fix, yeah. After Party yeah. Magazine. There, okay, so that, you've been doing a lot of writing in the recovery uh, uh, space. So yes. when did this begin? So uh, we mentioned Anna at the top of all this, and yep. so uh, she's going to be, I guess, the uh, the angel that you know throughout the entire thing here. So absolutely, call, call she is an yeah. angel. Yeah. So uh, I I would have been about a year into about a year and a half into sobriety for me. That's when the molecule started percolating and said, yep. "Like I need to I need to write about this." Yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. on top of that, mm-hmm. I feel like now is the time to write about it because before it was just like I had a lot of things to say, yeah, none of us controlled. Because yep. the things I would write would just be like scattered and, you know, it's just, you know, it's like a Sarah McLaughlin song. It just, it just sounds pretty, but it's just, it makes no sense. And then, uh, <laughs> and then the, the, the whole thing is like, I would, <laughs> so I would, uh, so I'd be writing, uh, so I started writing just a basic, uh, when she was the editor of After Party, um, you know, I was a fan of um, her podcast and, and a lot of podcasts, by the way. Um, because that was one of those things that was a great compliment for me. If I could only make mm-hmm. that one meeting, I could still listen while I'm mowing the lawn or, uh, you know, whatever. It, it, they're, they're always with you, as you well know. So Correct, correct. Uh, so, yeah, so with Anna, though, I was like, her podcast, she was a you know, great guest on. I identified with a lot of it. And then I, she had, like, um, how I got sober stories on After Party. And so I wrote a, a piece that was just basically like, before I did it, I said, Hey, I just want to let you know, you have helped me get sober. You know, I wrote her this long letter. It was essentially, if you look back on it, it's kind of like a fan letter almost, but it was, but it was entirely genuine. Like you really got me sober. You got yep. me through some really dark places. It was just perfect timing. The perfect person for me to hear, uh, the perfect 
perfect words, but everything was just, you know, couldn't have, I couldn't have asked for something better, more tailor-made. And so I decided to give back and I said, hey, here's, here's my story. Would you mind writing? She goes, that's fine. I will. Absolutely. I, I love it. But there's the deal breaker would be you have to, you can't be anonymous. You have to use your name. And so, um, and I hadn't done that since I'd been lying about being sober the first time. And I'm like, so this is kind of, I said, fine, I'll do that. So I wrote it. And apparently um, that was, it came out in like October, November of that year. And she said, even in November, she got back to me right away. She said it was their ninth most read article of the year. Really? So, Which one was so this that, one? Uh, it was Farewell Alcohol, My Friend, I believe. It was, uh, um, I think that's the name of it. It's like, it's, like, it's like one of those ones. It's like the goodbye letter to alcohol and rehab. Yeah, and I and I can't. Uh, the re- I'm not being coy, and I can't remember. The reason is because I got hired by her very quickly to do a number of things, and you know, uh, I was doing uh, at first essays, and then I was doing news pieces, and then I was doing all of that. Then I was doing feature articles, um, and by the end of my run at After Party, in fact, I'm still doing some at writing for After Party. To be honest, um, I uh, have had about 270 articles in the last year and a half just there. Uh, and then the fix, uh, Anna connected me to the fix. Um, same deal. I was writing, uh, that was a grind. I was writing about two or three articles, um, a, a week for them, news articles on top of some other essays and stuff. But you know what? I, it wasn't, I love it. I mean, I, lo- it, I, I, I just love getting my hands dirty with whatever's going on out there with the opioid crisis or whatever. Cause I feel like I'm part of the solution in some sort of way correct in some small way you know in my armchair but um yeah so that's how this all started was through anna and then uh i was pretty good at it and then um more and more opportunities came my way and before i knew it i was writing for a a number of places i wrote for in recovery magazine the print magazine there Uh Um, yep i know that one uh and you 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 know uh mr joe polish so you know his genius recovery i I interviewed joe I know I listened to it, so I I, uh, I, I, uh-huh. I had to listen to enough of your episodes to intimidate myself before I do this, which I do not recommend to any future guests. By the way, just letting you know, that's not a strategy you should do. <laughs> My podcast? No, so I'm thinking, okay, what I need to do? Yeah, because I already listened to it all, anyways. But I'm thinking, okay, now I got to think of it as a guest. And by the way, my strategy went out the window two minutes into talking. Just letting you know. Just, just, just All right. Wonderful. Yeah, Good. Yeah. So it all went out. But I was thinking, okay, not only that, you've done 200 some episodes of this because you're going to know. 100, 100, 190. But who's counting, right? Yeah, right. So, who's counting? <laughs> but I, so I listened to it. So I, I thought, okay, I'm going to listen to people that I know. Like I know Joe. I know Anna. Uh-huh. I know uh-huh. uh, Amy Dresner. You know, I know all these. So uh, I'm listening to them and I'm just thinking about, this is really intimidating because these are like great storytellers and these are amazing people. And so I was writing for, you know, Joe's, I'm still writing for Joe's site and it's just a blessing. Yeah. I really do. Um, like I said, I feel like I'm part of, I'm connected to the ground level of a lot of this and giving back through my writing, um, which, you know, uh, is the only way I can really, uh, connect with the world is through writing really. So, well, here's, here's the thing too. Um, your gift is writing. That is your, I mean, that's, you know, my gift is my personality. Uh, I have, you know, first it was hosting the podcast, um, and, and, and hosting and, and the voice that God gave me. Um, and now I coach people and I have a gift. I have, I have a (laughs) good, thank you. Thank you. I have, (laughs) I, and I have, I have a, a gift when it comes to coaching that I, I developed 
when I was sponsoring guys. I mean, here I am yeah. sponsoring guys for years and never yeah. dawned on me that you could probably do this for a living. How do you, how, how do you, you know, how do you hook this in into, right. you know, a business, right? Sure, um, sure. Because I'm doing this for free for, you know, over 10 years. Right, um, right. And so the, the thing is that first it's discovering what your gift is. Once you discover what your gift is, then living in that gift and having the opportunity to do 270 articles just for one of those publications, right? It's something, it's, it's up there, yeah. Like how many, like, do you have any idea total how many recovery-related articles you've written? Easily 400, but I would guess it's closer to 500. So um, okay. inter- interviews, essays, features, okay. investigative stories, yeah. And of these... Which do you get paid for? It depends. Uh, most of them. Yeah, okay. honestly, most of them. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but that's not the motivation. And then I've never, it's was not, one. but, and it's, but I mean, it's, it's like one of these things where it's nice to be able to look at things as a whole and to recognize that here's a guy who was just Nagasaki his life, <laughs> yeah. just in, in every way. You know, yeah. possible. And within a year and a half, meets Anna David. Yeah. Okay. Right. Just because you wrote an article, you sent out an email, you you, you took that first step, that first leap. With no expectation. It was None. basically like, hey, that's, hey, that's the key. That's the key. I have to get this out of me. <laughs> it's just like, because prior to all this, you got to think, my writing was not being used for good purposes. It was either being, you know... You know, drunken Facebook messages uh-huh. and or, oh. or awful James Bond fan fiction. You know, one or the other. <laughs> so, <laughs> you think I'm kidding, but it's terrible. Oh, it sounds about <laughs> right. Okay. So bottom line is this, is that <laughs> as I was going through the, the timeline, the idea is to extract when you start to come out of the fog. Yeah. When you stop putting the cart before the horse, when you start taking a breath, when you start listening, when the message starts to penetrate. Because at first, you're trying to control this message. You're trying to control the pace. You're trying to control the information. It's just, you're still trying to control. You're still the director. Yep. And then something happens, and you get a very strong dose of humility. And you either relapse... Or you go, you know what? Maybe it's time to look at that step three again. And let this thing, let God step in, right? And let this, let these people show me what they know has been working for all these years. Then you start to watch that person have that psychic change. And when that happens, these beautiful things start to happen. And these beautiful people start to appear in your life. You know, you're a writer. So yes. when the... Yeah. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And it's just that that whole constant allowing the process to happen naturally, which is why that, that's what's all the questions. I mean, I want to lead up to the book. Sure. So there was sure. that first year of recovery. Then there was writing the articles. And now I'm not even five years yet, and I've written a book that Anna says is one of the best books you know, on, I think she said it was it addiction or was 
she said. But she said it was one of the best books. Let's see here. Her quote's on the front cover, and I can't even uh, recall it because it was so nice. It's like, you know, staring at the sun. I just want (laughs) to... Right? She goes, that may be the best book about recovery. Yeah, it's... I've re- about recovery, not about addiction. Mm-hmm. Not it's about, about recovery. Yeah. And here's somebody who's just like, eh, you know, I'm just kind of putting it together. Uh, obviously, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's meat in there. Okay, so right. now tell us about the book, how that, sure. how it manifested itself, basically. Well, I mean, you're extremely insightful because you really figured out that's when it's the genesis started. Because you know, I, I, I had the. My very first article when I got published with After Party, I mean, you got to think, I've never been published as a writer before. And this is what I've been aiming to do my entire life is become a published writer. And then it, the irony is that it takes me to get sober and write about all the things that kept me away from writing, you know, all the things that kept to get published. And that's, a, that's an irony that's not lost on me. I, I saved my first check. It's still in my uh, my safe. You know, I, 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 that's a huge deal to me. That's just yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's a huge deal. But I mean, there was a quieting in my brain where I just started, um, uh, and I can't even pinpoint when it was, but it was after the first year. But it was, um, you know, really working the steps as they, you know, as my sponsor was saying, but there was no rush. There was no urgency to it. It was basically like, just let things happen. And he gave me some good things like, you know, let's, you know, the moral inventory, for example, you know, he's like, that's another thing I just want to jump into. I'm like, let's write all the shitty things that I, I'm capable of, you know? And he's like, hold on, let's work on the things that are, you know, good. So over the course of the, that second year, I think was the most formative year for me because it was just basically letting things happen in their own time with no expectation of it. You know, there are no expectations. Like this could go horribly wrong for you. Correct. Uh, you know, I, you know, luckily my, my, I have my father's and not, it kind of came out of nowhere. He's, he's uh, really sick right now. Um, he's actually dying right now, but he's um, so expecting them not to have much longer to live. But this is one of those things like in the beginning of my sobriety, was I strong enough to do with, you know, I didn't have that apparatus. I, mean, I didn't have that, uh, um, that skill set to get through it without drinking um, or whatever else I want to do to distract myself. But back to your original question to, but the second second year is when I really started just you know giving myself over to um, to that and letting that three minute you know three minute eight second song really take me to that you know <laughs> take my higher power and say yeah. what, am I, what am I supposed to do you yeah. know and um, it's just been a series of things that arrive in my life I haven't asked for anything in recovery and I really mean that I haven't asked for I didn't ask for a writing career this recovery you know gave me an actual writing career, which is all I've ever wanted in my uh-huh, entire life. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, I, I cannot uh-huh. overstate this yep. from when I was seven years old, writing a story called the missing sword. That was, you know, some Indiana Jones knockoff. I wanted to be a published writer and I never was. And it took me until finally getting sober and having clear thoughts and letting everything come together that I was actually one. And uh, it was about something that I'm deeply passionate about. The book took um, bottleneck took me, a full four years to write. So I started, it started as um, like journaling, you know, that was mainly, you know, the most people do that. I would assume when they're, you know, dealing with processing things like, but they started looking to me like there started to be a structure there. There started to be a narrative. And then um, the other part of this, I can't overstate is that my story as most all of your listeners will be able to attest to is not unique. But 
<laughs> but the funny thing is, is when I went out to look for a book that I could identify with uh, about, you know, a father with, you know, a few kids who's, you know, humbled by the bottle and, and it's just alcohol. It's not leading like shadowed by other drugs. There's no, uh, my wife didn't cheat on me. There's no huge losses in my life. Just like a really, I guess they call it minor problem, but it's a minor major problem. There's no book out there um, for me. Um, there was always some extra element to that book that was like, I can identify with 80% of this and not everything. So I wanted to see that story because I know that there's somebody out there that's living the same hell that I did. And so that's why I felt compelled to write it. So I really spent four years making sure that it just wasn't, you know, a 30 minute description. Like I gave you of just the beats, like, you know, here's my job and I quit it and this is what happened. And I was drunk for a couple of days. And then I, you know, went and left my son in his crib and hoped he was there when I came back. It was more being artful about it and being uh, thoughtful about what I'm leaving behind for someone else. Because, um, you know, I, I know that words can be powerful. I know that I am, uh, I know that I'm talented at writing, but I, I do, I am mindful of uh, not overdoing it either. You know, I want to make sure that it's very well modulated. So the entire book took a long time to go from this. There were some very ugly drafts of it. They were just basically bleeding heart, you know, you know, narration about it all. And eventually just became this very narrow, very uh, well-oiled machine that gets you from the beginning of my uh, holding two bottles of Zima and thinking about the alcoholism in my grandfather grandparents and all of that, that pattern and that how it's embroidered through my DNA to now I'm talking to you, uh, which is surreal. Um, uh, it's just, it's, it's really remarkable, um, that I was one able to do all this, but two able to capture it in a way that is affecting not only for, uh, Anna, but it's deeply affecting for other people who are reading it. Um, you know, and it's, I'm getting lots of comments and lots of messages, uh, the, the tenor and the tone of the messages I get now on Facebook are much different than they were five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the ones you're I'm, giving are also very yeah. different. I'm sure too. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I'm not offering any advice. I'm not a, prof- I'm, I may have written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these articles. I'm not an expert. I'm not, I'm not an expert at all. And I don't pretend to be, I just know my story. I know what I went through and I know that it's, it was worse than I thought it was. You know, I, it was just, you know, I'm still taking stock of everything I went through. It wasn't just like after the first year when you're asking me what that first year was like, I'm still going through some of that. I'm like, Oh my God, I did that too. Or, um, this still has an effect on my life, whether it's monetary or psychological or, you know, uh, I see my kids, um, my, my oldest who I did a horrible job raising for a year. I think, you know, there's some, probably some residual stuff there too. I mean, it's just like, he's seen things and nothing's perfect, but you know, my book is an attempt to give my horrible, uh, you know, wrecking ball pass some sort of, not only a narrative, but a purpose. Yes. And just say like, just here's a blueprint for what not to do. Yeah. 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 I think we got plenty of those. Right. I mean, Sarah's is definitely Sarah Heppler's, which is one of my favorites. Is another one of what not to do. So, I mean, we, we, that's the thing. We have these amazing blueprints. Yeah. Just, and that's what the, the beautiful thing about recovery or 12 step recovery and developing a network of people 
is what we're talking is the cliff notes. Yes. They're cliff notes or they're blueprints, however you want to look at them. But the truth is you don't have to do all the figuring out on your own. You don't have to do all the research. Much of it has already been done for you. So if you can, learn from somebody else. Right, right. Absolutely. (laughs) But the funny thing is, is like I used to be the master at all these sad shortcuts. So I would be the one really looking forward to the cliffs notes, but now I'm actually looking forward to like, I'll, I'll do that. But I'm also interested in the long heavy lifting and reading of this stuff too, you know? So it's just a different world for me. Um, Well now, now we can all, we can choose what is it exactly that we want to focus on, learn, expand on, as you start to, to figure out, I like the word that you said there. I'm not an expert no. on any of this, but I am an expert at writing. I am an expert at being able to express myself uh, grammatically in a way that is impactful, that is inspiring, right. that is useful. There's all this. I mean, I, I try and get people to tap into that because everybody's different. 7.5. Uh-oh, what happened? <laughs> so yes. The door just flew wide open. <laughs> okay. That's like going on. Too much. Uh, <laughs> hey, you is, can, hey, you can come in now. My life. <laughs> so, yeah, this is just much. wild, man. I can tell you. This is just, uh, I have nothing else that's entertaining. So, you okay. get to see, yeah, uh, so listen, my life is. With that. Wide open door. We're going to start to close up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just so everyone knows, the, the garage door just flew open, and two of my kids were staring at me with oh. this look of like, what are you doing? So, what are you doing in there? Yeah, uh, you threw exactly. me out. And, and, which is actually a reasonable thing to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, why, why, why are you hiding in, in the car inside no. the garage? This, I mean, this is the best uh, hour or so that I've sat in the car in the garage ever. I will, I will right. tell you that. So. <laughs> unequivocally <laughs> all right <laughs> all right so what we're going to do is we're going to close up yeah uh and we're going to close up for the newcomer so i'm going to ask you five questions oh, yeah, sure. about your early recovery okay uh, uh but before we do that please tell our listeners how they can find you reach you how they can get your book uh oh, sure. social media all that good stuff sure oh uh, and i'm um I'm pretty much just all over the normal places you can find. I don't have like a Facebook fan page. Just, you just put my name in and I'll friend you most likely because it's just like, I, I'm, I'm pretty indiscriminating, especially if we have like a lot of mutual friends in recovery. Uh, I think actually uh, Amy Dresner follows the same text. So I, uh, I figure out if she, it's That's, good enough for her, it's good enough for me. Her, um, you, her and uh, Mishka Shibali. That's oh, all yeah, just the yeah, same, yeah. same yeah. shit. You know what I mean? I'll friend yeah. any, you know, I'll take any friend request. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. I'm on Twitter uh, under you know, Paul Fear. Uh, I'm under, I have an Instagram account. I mean, I'm just, I'm all over, but I have a website. Um, it's my name, uh, paulfear.com. I also have um, a weekly website or, we- I'm sorry, weekly podcast that uh, still trying to wrap my brain around that because that's weekly and it's a lot of work and I don't mm-hmm. like it. But it's a weekly podcast called Drop the Needle. We uh, we host that. It's music and uh, addiction recovery. And um, Bottleneck, you can find uh, in on Amazon in two different forms. You can find it as a paperback and you can find it as a Kindle uh, version as well. So Beautiful. All right. I will have that listed on the show notes, show notes, everybody, so you can get to it. 
Thank you. All right, beautiful. All right, so Paul, number one, what was keeping yeah. you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery? Uh, the biggest thing for me was believing that I had a part to play in all of my other alcoholic friends' lives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I believe that I was a very necessary cog in their life, in the wheel and the machine of our, my friendships with them. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it, it, I felt like there were birthdays and Labor Days and Christmases, goddammit, that I needed to be the drinking pace car for. Um, and I felt like if I stopped drinking, even though I knew I had a problem, I was going to somehow let these people down. Oh, dude, that is I'm brilliant. not even joking. Oh, I know you're not. <laughs> That's the best yeah. part. <laughs> yeah. I thought I, 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 there wasn't even a sense uh, that I could be mistaken. I was just like, I can't do that to my friends. I can't, you know, they're, they're, they're depending on me. You know, that, yes. that was for a, a good couple years too. Not just one. It was like, I was the pace car and I had to be ready for those things. I had to be the one to usher us to the next level of drunkenness. And that kept me out there for a long time. Dude, I, it's so amazing. I, I remember that. Do you really? <laughs> I remember like, not, not the, not in the same context, but just remember thinking to myself, dude, what are my friends going to do without me? Yeah. You know, exactly. I'm the, I'm the life of the party. I mean, without me, you know, right. there is, there, there, I, 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 my God, did I believe my shit. And most people were like, my nickname was, oh no. What's okay. <laughs> my, my nickname was, oh no more. And then That's it quickly fantastic. became, oh no. And I would walk into any place and they'd be like, oh no. And I used <laughs> to think that that was like, oh my God. Right. Like I finally got my nickname. I have arrived. Okay. I'm a, you know, this is all movie star quality right. mindset. Right. And the truth of it is, like, when I got sober, they're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Rock, know, nobody, these guys were partiers, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody is mourning the loss of me. No, no. Oh, they wanted God. to let him go. Oh, that is that kept me out there for a long time. And it took me a while to realize that. I was just like, that, yeah. Yeah, for real. That was the biggest thing. Wow. So. Well, folks, as you're listening, you can see the denial takes many, many different forms. <laughs> <laughs> dude yeah. all right so number two at what point did you have a spiritual awakening that aha moment in recovery when you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol but for the first time had developed the hope that you could recover i love this question because um i actually do have like an actual moment and it was a, kind of a beautiful moment it was um a f i had been invited a couple months after i got sober but I wasn't quite sure I bought into the whole sobriety thing yet. I wasn't mm -hmm. quite sure I'd bought in the whole recovery deal. And I was, you know, that weird, tenuous, thin ice phase that everyone gets into, I think, or at least I did. Where you're just like, I'm not quite sure. I was at a concert. Um, I'd been invited to an arcade fire show uh, here in Columbus. And it was at one of those coliseums where uh, if somebody orders beer, it has to get passed down uh like you know, like a baseball game i remember those you know yeah. just pass the beer down <clears throat> right so it was like uh 16 or 17 people and it was coming down me and all my people i i went with got beer except for me and i did not for one i did not feel like i was being punished i didn't feel like i was uh being left out because i oh. didn't order anything uh -huh. but i also uh, when the beer would like spill on my arm or my spill, I didn't feel like it would burn me or something like I was a vampire with sunlight. You know, it was just like, I, uh, that was a big thing for me. It was like, you know, I, I really felt like that was, I hesitate to call it 
it's the closest thing I can call it to a spiritual waking, mainly because mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, there's one of those epic arcade fire songs. You know, I don't know if you know arcade fire, but there's like 13 people in the band. It's insane. But it's just like, you know, so it's there's like during one of the songs, it just they, all the lights came up and it was just like I locked into that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like it was just perfect. I'm like, I I can do this. I can be, you know, the song was called uh, Normal Person. And I'm like, I could be a normal person. And it was just one of those serendipitous moments that I was just like, I'll, I'll never forget. It was just, I really felt like um, that was my spiritual awakening. So, In the coaching world, we call that an anchor. Okay. So what happens is people have, and most of the time, it's people trying to get rid of a negative anchor. Something got anchored. Like, for example... That moment for you now represents freedom. It represents a spiritual awakening. It represents that turning point in your recovery where like, wait a minute, man, like this feels different. This feels right. This feels good. And then there's this music and the lights. And so anytime you think about that moment, it's vivid. It's clear. It brings back a lot of really positive reinforcing emotions. Yes. It's an anchor. You've anchored that moment with a very positive experience. And so what happens is with trauma is you have a lot of moments that have been anchored and they're super negative. So that's where a song comes on the radio or something comes on or you see something, smell something, taste something that reminds you of this event. And all these negative emotions kind of come into play. Right. So, you know, that's what the term anchor comes in. So it's, it's really important to understand how valuable these moments are and, you know, just how beautiful, because it was a lot there. There was sight, sound, feelings, all come together and just in this one beautiful moment that I can, I can cherish and carry for the rest of my life. And the more times that I can have these really positive moments where I can anchor a real positive experience that just releases all these positive emotions, makes it easier along the process, along the journey, which also kind of plays into the fact that when you start to change people, places, and things in your life, when you come into recovery and they say change people, places, and things, if you stay away from people, places, and things, you're going to have to you're going to have new experiences. Period. You're no you're not you're not going backwards, you're going forward. And a lot of times what's gonna happen is these new experiences are gonna anchor new emotional states. And now it's like, I can do this. I went out with all the guys after the meeting. We had coffee and nobody wanted to drink and we were talking about recovery and uh-huh. it was fucking awesome. And I remember yeah. this one day we were at Big Bog Burgers and you know and and the waitress. Yeah, yeah it, boom and all of a sudden you're anchoring these beautiful moments. The more of those that you can string along, yeah. The stronger your connection to recovery becomes and the further you start to dissociate yourself from your addiction and your lifestyle of the past dude you're jacking me up (laughs) i'm excited (laughs) i'm like ready to get some more like all pumped just get out there and anchor some more exciting positive recovery experiences man keep this dream alive no that's awesome all right good so so you 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 
you got you got the premise of it all. Okay, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, but I, I I think of many others, but that was the first one that uh, that was my first mm-hmm. genuine anchor, and yeah, that was beautiful, galvanizing moment for me. Yeah. So number three, do you have a favorite book that you would recommend to our newcomers? So you read an early recovery. You know, I'd love to have um, some sort of really creative answer here, but I, 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 I can't be cute about it. I think the biggest one for me that I would recommend, and I always do, is, uh, is just that uh, it's the AA literature, the book um, Living Sober. Ah, uh, yeah, totally. It's just, mm-hmm. uh, it's, for some reason, it's just, it, 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 it's no bullshit. There's just no bullshit to the book whatsoever. It's just a series of practical tips. That's yep. it. There's no story. There's no hook. There's no main character. There's nothing. It's almost disposable after the first 90 days. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm not putting my name on that saying it's disposable. But I'm saying like it got me through my first 90 days because it was basically like, oh, are you thinking about a drink right now? Why don't you just put something sweet in your mouth, like a little uh, lollipop or something? You know, it's just something stupid like that turns out to be not so stupid. It's just like, these are real, like practical things. Like, are you at a party and you feel alone? Well, try this conversation tactic or something. It's just like these little things. And I just feel like every little bit, every little tip, every little technique that you can get, especially early in sobriety, I, there's a lot of them in there. And if you can just absorb those real quick, you're uh, even further along in your recovery. That book I would recommend uh, 10 times over. Yeah. You know, having the right strategy for every situation is brilliant or as many as you can yeah Uh, and having that in your back pocket it is a small enough book right that you can go through it quick and it's been carried yeah you really can it's been recommended a bunch of times just because it's so practical it's it's so beautifully written um and it's, it's it's easy to follow but if you know uh one of the things that like especially in early recovery when people talk about i'm going to a I'm going to a wedding and I don't know what's going to happen. And there's this, there's this sure. great suggestion or strategy of book ending where you call somebody. Yeah. You know, you call somebody. I, okay. I'm here. I'm about to go in. I'm just letting you know. Yeah. Then, you know, I'll call you if I need you while I'm inside. Okay. I just left. I'm heading home. It works. <laughs> Two calls, maybe three. Yeah. You're done. I would have never thought about it either. No? I mean, it's just, so, yeah, I mean, there's a, I could list dozens and dozens of, of great books that somebody could read. Or uh, We've mentioned Sarah Heppel's Blackout at least yep. a number of times, but I don't think a memoir is, you know, what a, uh, uh, a brand new person in the program or in the rooms needs to, uh, you know, kind of read. I think they just basically need to have any element of support they can, however small it is. And for me, it was all about the small things getting me through the day. So that was why that book was really helpful to me. Well, apparently Bottleneck is a good recovery book. So might according, well, according we'll to Anna. According so, to Anna. So. Because you can check that one out. You can check that one out. All right. <laughs> perfect. All right. So number four, what is the best suggestion you have ever received? Um, it's similar to what my sponsor, I, I was originally going to say something like uh, my sponsor had told me like, focus on your strengths, you know, not your weaknesses when we're doing our uh, moral inventory. But I actually think it would be something more like it's more severe than that. I think the best suggestion was to keep in mind that when it comes to addiction, some part of your brain is still trying to kill you and always will be. Uh, it sounds severe. It sounds really dark and it doesn't sound like a suggestion. Um, and I don't mean to, you know, almost end on a, a super dark note, <laughs> but it's like, especially as I'm sitting in my car in the garage again, totally. uh, 
Yeah, it's just like this is the last thing I'm ever going to say to anybody on the planet. Um, it's uh, it really is the best suggestion I ever has just to be ever mindful mm-hmm. that addiction is never going to go away. Is no. we all know, but some part of your brain is trying to kill you, and it will if you let it. Um, and it's just being mindful of that and. I wouldn't have listened if it wasn't as severe as that. I wouldn't have listened to like, you know, it might hurt you in the end. You know, it might, it might, you know, it might, might give you a licking or something like that. It had to be like, it's going to kill you. And that's what, you know, that's when I listen to mm-hmm. something severe like that. Mm-hmm. But. Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean, there's no question about it. The disease is always trying to kill you. You know, yeah. it's slippery, man. It is greasier than a gas station mop. And it just, you know, it just, it's so sneaky and diabolical and, and it's cunning, baffling and powerful. Yeah. And sometimes, and sometimes, yeah, and patient. And sometimes you just have to paint that picture, right? Hey, stay vigilant, come to meetings. You know, you could have a life beyond your wildest dreams, but always keep in mind that it's waiting for you. I, I actually had a weight lifted off me. Somebody suggested to me like to stop thinking that that wasn't the case. Like I thought eventually this will all go away. Like eventually I'll be okay. Like, you know, my addiction will just kind of fade away and it'll be something I vaguely remember. It was basically like that suggestion to keep that in mind that it's never going to go away is still very present in my mind, you know, uh, is just a few years that I'm into it, but it's something I'll probably carry with me a long time. Um, Beautiful. So Beautiful. Okay. So number five. Uh, what, if you could give our newcomers only one suggestion, what would that be? Um, I would say, uh, paramount, the most important thing that I would give them is uh, from a suggestion, listen, just listen, don't talk. And I don't mean to, you know, you know, stifle anybody, but when you're a newcomer coming into the room, when you're, uh, when you're, even if you're not in the room, if you're just, you know, trying to talk to another alcoholic or you're trying to talk to somebody who's struggling, listen, uh, all you can don't talk, just listen. If it's AA meetings, if it's podcasts, if it's audio books, if it's other alcoholics, like I said, or other struggling, uh, people with addiction, um, you know, just listen to me. That was the biggest thing that, uh, it wasn't ever a piece of advice given to me. It was just something I accidentally like retroactively look back on as a piece of advice, you know, it's just like, I just did it. I just listened. I didn't offer my opinion very much. If I was, uh, if I needed help or, you know, like, you know, experience strength or hope on something I'd ask, but most of the time in the very beginning, I just listened because that's, uh, uh, that, you know, you have to be receptive, you know, the state of total receptivity to, uh, uh, get through all this, I think. And so just being a tremendous listener in the beginning and uh, it will go a long way, I think. Beautiful, beautiful. Paul, amazing interview, brother. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. This was, all, I mean, incredible. I really, really mean that. Thank you. Uh, I, I, it's surreal and uh, insightful and uh, very meaningful to me. So thank you. And fun fun yeah it really was fun and light man (laughs) (laughs) thanks for dealing with my setup and uh yeah that's uh, the best part (laughs) (laughs) no it's great talking to you in person and uh yeah thank you again for doing all that you do so that's my honor and uh you too brother you too all right so folks we have now reached the end of our show thanks for joining us and as we say here in costa rica pura vida pura vida 
Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.